you know, Martin has a unique perspective growing up the way he did. And for those of you who don't know me that well, uh, I, I've mentioned it before, I grew up in the Midwest, in Iowa, and it's a very different culture in the Midwest, almost to the point where Jeff and I were talking at one point that we ought to do a, uh, back when we were doing the meals around the world, we ought to do one for the Midwest because it is so different from the East Coast or the South or the Far West. Um, and so I, I just want to kind of share with you some of where I came from today. Um, and so I, I was put in mind of uh, a complaint I made to my dad when I was younger about a preacher whose sermons I didn't think were any good. And I said, Dad, they're not good. I'm not getting anything out of them. And he said to me, he said, son, you will find that what you get out of church is what you're willing to put into it. Um, that was like a sucker punch. You know, I, I suddenly realized that uh, maybe I needed to look at me. Um, so years later, of course, um, in Michigan, after we were married and had young, young children, we found ourselves in a church where the sermons weren't so good. And, and it became very clear to a whole bunch of folks that we really needed to focus on feeding ourselves outside of church service because a lot of people were complaining, oh, I'm not being fed, you know. But the reality is we need to be connecting with God and feeding ourselves. Paul talks about moving on from the, the, the spiritual milk, the kind of pre-digested message that many preachers give, and move on to the meat and look at the truth. And he talks about praising the Bereans for uh, reaching out into the word and finding out if what he said was true or not. Imagine that. Paul, probably the greatest Christian besides Jesus who ever lived, welcoming folks questioning him. I'm not setting myself up like Paul, but I'm sure hoping you take the story today and question it. Okay? Um, so, uh, when I was a kid, my family, and I had a large family, we, we did a pretty good job of having nightly devotions. And it usually consisted of um, mom and dad and the kids would get together and we'd read a chapter out of the Bible and each one of us read a verse and we went around. And at the end, dad would sometimes give a little bit of context, a little bit of detail, answer any questions. And then we were each expected to come up with a lesson. And the lessons were things that we wanted to make a part of our life, things that would help us to be better Christians. At least that was the intent. Um, at some point, the kids kind of decided that we should all have different lessons. And I remember several arguments breaking out about, you stole my lesson. You can't say that. I was going to say that, you know. Um, and we, of course, my dad had to work very diligently and diplomatically to help us understand that, yes, more than one of you can have the same lesson, but let's get at what it means to you and how it's just for you. Um, of course, the younger kids always defaulted to, we should obey God. And so if you didn't have a lesson, you kind of had to raise your hand and shout that first. 
<clears throat> and then it, then it was, we should trust God. And th- those are right. You know, we, we learned right away that the two most important things, aside from accepting Jesus as your Lord, is to trust God and obey God. But those are the spiritual milk. That's what the kids should say. And so as you got older, you needed to find your own lessons. Um, so, of course, occasionally in our drive to be different, we'd miss the point. And then Dad had to kind of steer us back, help us understand. And, and that was his job. Uh, unfortunately, today we're not in a Bible study setting, and you know it's not a lot of free-flow discussion. And so I'm going to try to adapt our lesson today into this format. But I would challenge each of you to be looking for lessons that you can talk to God about and work on in your life, meditate on them, and remember. Um, so what I want to do is, uh, first we're going to read, and if you have sermon notes, I guess there's probably three things you ought to remember. Read the Word, research it, you know, find out what's going on, the context, um, find out you know, who the characters are and what they are. Look other than just the one chapter. Maybe even research them on. There's, there's sites that you can go to. There's books. You know, you can learn about these people if you want to. Seek and you shall find. Um, the second is try to make it real. Make, try to identify with the people in the story. Even the, even the bad guys. Try to identify. Why would they be that way? Why would they do those things? Would I do them? things. You know, don't, don't just sit back like often we do when we read stories in the Bible. Oh, I'd never do that. I know better. Wrong. People are people wherever you go, right? And, and there's nothing new under the sun, as Solomon tells us. Um, and so uh, try to make it real. Today we'll try to put ourselves in their sandals um, <clears throat> instead of shoes. Um, and third, I'd say, I want you to recognize um, there's a lesson in there to be learned. And um, try to figure out what that means to you and ask the Spirit to help you discern what that means and how your behavior needs to change and how things need to be different for you. And then if there's a last thing, we follow with prayer and ask God to help us to remember. And that's a scary thing. Because he will. Ever prayed for patience? At a young age, I heard the joke at church, and I refused to pray for patience for a long time because I didn't want to have the trials that helped you become patient. Um, and so sometimes we, we uh, as Tolkien says, run from our fears only to find a shortcut to our fate. Uh, eventually, you will have to deal with it. So, uh, if I could, I'd, I'd ask that we turn to the book of 1 Kings, chapter 19. Okay? And so, this is kind of picks up in the middle of a story. Um, and so, let me just kind of set the stage while you're digging it up. Elijah is the prophet of God in Israel. Um, He's, he's kind of 
a guy who's different. Um, the Bible talks in different places in his appearance. He was a hairy man. He wore leather clothes. Uh, he was unkempt. He wore a mantle of uh, uh, sheepskin, you know. So you get this picture of this guy who's kind of a wilderness man, like uh, um, Grizzly Adams or uh, um, a biker, maybe, even, we think of today. The kind of rough folks that spend their times outdoors on purpose, and that's where they belong. And yet God called him to go and speak to royalty, um, meaning Ahab and Jezebel, who was, who was the king and she the queen. And Jezebel was the worst queen ever. The Bible labels her as, as the most wicked queen. And she was on a mission to destroy the worship of Jehovah in the nation of Israel. She went out and she murdered all of the prophets of God she could find. And God hid Elijah and provided for him. And, and he was on this mission from God. And yet God only sent him to live with a widow in a foreign country and all she could feed him was bread and water. And so we have this, I mean, if you fed me bread and water and let my beard grow and I started wearing leather, um, it'd be kind of rough, right? And you'd take on kind of a rough attitude and you'd think the guy was tough, you know, having had to live that way and be that way. And so um, finally God says, you need to go and meet with Ahab. And the whole feud at this point is Elijah told him there was going to be no rain because of the wickedness in Israel. And sure enough, for three years, there was no rain. There was no dew. There was nothing. And he finally said, Elijah, go talk to Ahab and tell him I'm going to send rain. And he did at the risk of his own life. In fact, his friend Obadiah said, hey, I've been hiding out some prophets on the side here. Don't go to them because that'll blow everything. And he went and he challenged Ahab and the prophets of Baal to a contest to see whose God is bigger. Who's the real God? And they invited all the people to come and watch. We want to talk about a step of faith. <laughs> I'm not sure I'd do that. Even though I would like to sit here today and think I know God's the real God. Okay, And so they have this contest. Elijah, has a, he allows the prophets of Baal to go first, and they build this elaborate altar. And, and the deal is you've got you to ask your God to start the fire to consume it, and nothing happens. And Elijah starts making fun of him, and he starts talking like kind of a rough guy. He says, hey, you know, maybe you better shout a little louder. Baal's not listening, or maybe he's on the toilet. I mean, you read in Second Kings or 1 Kings 17 and 18, you're going to find these little euphemisms that they put in there for he's at his ease, okay? And he makes fun of them. And finally they get exhausted and they fall on the ground. And he says, folks, I'm putting back together the altar of God. And he builds it by himself. And he puts the wood on it. And he slaughters the bull and puts it on there. And then he digs a trench and he says, pour the water on the wood. We're not doing any tricks here. You're going to know this came from God. And they dumped it three times. Soaked it. And then he prayed, and God set the thing on fire and burned everything. The water, the stones, the wood, the bowl, boom. Everybody knew he was God. Everybody knew God was God. And Elijah said, don't let these prophets of Baal get away. According to the law of God, they're condemned. And they killed them all right there on the spot. 450 of them 
that is an incredible afternoon's worth of work. And after all that, imagine the emotional distress that that would cause and the, you know, all that difficulty. And he's sitting on top of the mountain and he's wondering, God said he's going to send rain, where is it? He keeps sending his servant back to look and out in the sea and finally there's a cloud comes up. And he comes to the realization the rain's coming. And so the Bible says he girded up his loins and he ran to Ahab and said, get in your chariot. We've got to get to town before the rain gets us stuck up on the mountain. And Elijah outran the chariot all the way down the mountain and back to, to Jezreel. And so um, I'd like to pick up the story here. Ahab, starting in verse 1, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. And Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid and he arose and went for his life. And he came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. How could he be afraid? He just proved to the whole nation of Israel. God is God. God's in charge. Ahab and the Baals and the prophets and Jezebel are nothing. But he was afraid. He, um, he'd been on the run. That had to play into it. A lot of times, you know, in times of stress, we kind of go back to where we came from and we look at the recent history and behavior and we kind of let that be our guide. And so I think I'd be afraid. I, I can't really fault him for that. But he, he was overwhelmed. We find as we read on, he himself, went, um, he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough. Now, O Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said, Arise and eat. Elijah was completely overwhelmed. And he ran and ran. I mean, this was a day after he outran the chariot. He ran a marathon, 30 miles. That's more than a marathon, actually. Um, that's a lot of running. Um, and then he ran some more after he dropped his servant off, who was probably glad to be rid of him. Dude, I don't want to run anymore. Um, and he lay down and he's exhausted. Um, and he, he didn't want to get back up. It was too much. So God sent an angel to him. And the angel told him to get up and eat. And carrying on in uh, verse 6 there. And behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones, a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, else the journey will be too great for you. This is very interesting. This, this guy was wiped out and ready to be done. He wanted to lay down and die and get it all over with. And yet, the angel came to him and gave him what he needed, which was food and rest and time. <clears throat> but he did tell him, you still have work to do. 
There's a journey to go through. That's hard for us when we're overwhelmed and fearful, having a difficult time. It's difficult to be told you still have a journey to go. And it's also hard to accept that somehow we've got to make it on the journey with just the bread and water of life, you know? So Elijah, of course, obeyed. And, and if we read on here um, in verse 8, he arose, he ate and drank, and went on the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. There's a quick little side note here. Horeb was the same mountain that Moses received the Ten Commandments on. Moses also spent 40 days and 40 nights on that mountain with God. <clears throat> and the interesting thing is that both Moses and Elijah are the two who are with Christ on the mount at the transfiguration. And so you kind of see this is a big deal symbolically. And I think sometimes we as Christian believers kind of dismiss the stories of the Old Testament and, and, and we kind of think that we need to focus solely on Jesus and the loving God instead of the wrathful, vengeful, law-giving God of the Old Testament. But I'm here to tell you that's there for a reason and we need to find these lessons. We need to mine this truth out and, and filter it through the lens of Christ and his love and it's so much easier for us to connect with these stories sometimes than it is concepts of love and faith and, and the things that Paul teaches about. And so if you're having trouble with the New Testament, guys, dig into the Old Testament because you can get in and identify with these people. So here he is running away. He's going to Mount Horeb and he's probably thinking, this isn't even anywhere near. This is out in the middle of the desert. God's hiding me. I'm safe. Nobody can find me. Um, I, I kind of think that God was preparing Elijah to hear what he needed to hear. And sometimes God does that to us, right? Um, well, let's, let's see how it goes here. So in verse 9, and there he came to a cave, and he lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here? All right, kids. Occasionally I say that to you. What are you doing? And they say, well, I'm doing what you told me to. I'm doing my chores. or I'm, you know. And we have Elijah's response here. I mean, the funny thing is he didn't say, Well, you told me to come here. <laughs> he said, uh, in, starting in verse 10, he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, and for the, people of Is uh, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and slain your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. I can kind of picture Elijah as being perhaps a little bit feeling sorry for himself and maybe a little bit indignant with God or belligerent um, and, and saying, you should know this. Why do I have to tell you, you know? And yet God, sometimes I feel like if I get that way with God, he's going to zap me. And, and maybe that's a right fear. But I think if you read the Psalms, you find out that David 
And Solomon had some of those same kind of feelings, and they poured it out to God. You read the book of Job, oh my goodness, there's a guy who really called out God, and yet God's big enough to hear our fears and our worries and our hurts and help us to realize that there's, there's more to it. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about him. And, and so God, God kind of prepares, sets Elijah up here. Verse 11, he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great strong wind rent the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, an earthquake. The Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. See, God, God took defensive and uh, demanding little Elijah, who was his man. He was the man of God. In fact, if you read uh, 2 Kings uh, chapter 1 or 2, he is labeled as the man of God, and he answers to that, and he proves it by zapping 100 or so soldiers with fire while he sits on a hill. You know, um, might think that entitled you to some privilege. But God's like, we're going back to square one here. Come out and see me. And he, he, he pounds the mountain with wind and it's scary. And we got to believe that when the rocks start breaking, Elijah kind of ducks back into that cave. He's afraid. And as soon as he goes in there, the earth starts shaking. And Elijah knows what happens when the earth quakes in that part of the world. Oftentimes it splits open and swallows the people. And God did it before, right? And Elijah was just saying, I'm no better than my father's. He had to be scared to death. And then the fire comes. And you know what happens with a big fire? It sucks all the oxygen out. You can't breathe. It, it took everything away from him. Safety, his breath, his sense of well-being and, and, and his, you know, position was gone. And instead of God thundering down and saying, <laughs> now you know, you doofus, get to work. No, God came to him and he spoke in a still, small voice. And he said, not, not condemningly, he says, Rather mercifully, in my mind. Um, well, let's read on. And Elijah heard it. He wrapped his face in his mantle. And he went out and he stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? <clears throat> and of course, interestingly enough, in verse 14, Elijah gives the exact same answer. I'd kind of like to think maybe a little more respectfully or maybe sheepishly at this point. Um, but he knows those are the facts. That's true. And, and how often do we maybe cling to the same answer that's worked before, the same defense or explanation of why we behave the way we do? Um, and here's Elijah. He says, 
in verse 14, he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, slain your prophets with a sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. See, God, God's about to answer Elijah. And, and he, by every right, could have screamed and yelled or, or ripped into him because this is, this is my guy. He should behave like one of mine. Instead, he's behaving like a scared little child. And God says, in verse 15, The Lord said to him, Go and return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Haziel, king over Syria, and Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Mohalah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And he who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu slay, and he who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. God, once again, didn't coddle Elijah. He didn't say, oh, I know you're feeling bad. Let's have a hug. He knew Elijah wasn't that kind of guy. I'm not saying God wouldn't do that, but that's not the kind of guy Elijah was. He met Elijah where he was, and he treated him the way he needed to be treated. And sometimes we forget that what we want and what we need spiritually aren't the same. And it's hard. Um, But God knew what he needed, and he said, look, I'm still in charge. I know who these kings are going to be. I know who they are. I know who they're going to be. And he says, the the kings are going to change. And guess what? The prophets are going to change too. He didn't fire Elijah, but he told him, you got more work to do because I got work beyond when you're gone. I don't know about you, but if your boss has ever come to you and said, you need to go train your replacement, it's kind of a scary thing. Okay, Um, perhaps even more scary if God told you that than uh, being chased around by a crazy uh, queen who's looking to murder everybody. But it was what he needed to hear. Um, The interesting thing is, God didn't make this about Elijah, and yet Elijah's response to God was all about him. God said, you have work to do. He didn't say, hey, don't worry. You saw how powerful I was. You should trust me. I'll keep you safe. No, he said, no, we have work to do. Time to go back. Nice vacation, huh? Let me just warn you, sometimes when God sends you on a vacation, maybe it won't be quite the relaxing, restful thing that you uh, think you need. But he gave him what he needed. He reminded him, I'm still in charge. I have a plan, and you're part of it. I expect you to do your part. And then he reminded him in verse 18, he said, Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. You are not alone, Elijah. Even though you feel alone, you're not alone. So, 
kind of, it may be a little hard for us to crawl into Elijah's sandals here. Probably we wouldn't dare folks into a who's the real God contest. Um, maybe we wouldn't run around in, in uh, leathers and sandals and let our hair grow out um, and, and stand up to world leaders and tell them you need to get right with God. Um, probably none of us have outrun a horse-drawn chariot. Most of us, I would guess, probably haven't even run a marathon, let alone back-to-back. And I bet none of us have ever fasted for 40 days and 40 nights either. But maybe we can connect at a little more basic level here. Um, We've seen, certainly, the, the effects and the power of God in, in the forces of nature and the way that things work out in our lives around us. We've, we've seen him at work. We've been on a spiritual high, like Elijah was, and crashed when the reality of the next morning or the, the, the bills that come later in the month hit. You know, we, we've had that crash. We've, we've all felt alone. And loneliness is a very hard thing for people to, to deal with. We've all felt despair. We suffer from fears and anxieties. And a lot of times we let those carry us away into poor decisions. We get way off in the weeds where we don't belong. And hopefully we don't get so caught up in that that we miss that still small voice saying, why are you here? God knows why you're there. He wants you to think about it. He wants you to come to the realization that he has a plan and you still have work to do. So I hope you all are are finding lessons in the story and I hope I haven't pointed out too many of them because I, I really do want us to think about um, what this means to us. Do we let the world's view of success govern our Christian uh, relationship with God? The fact that, that maybe we aren't the wealthiest person on the block or you know, don't have the, quote, success that many people equate with God's blessing... Um, Whose standard says that our relationship's good? We need to look at God's standards. We need to look in the Word. And, and Elijah didn't have any physical blessings to speak of, certainly. And yet God, God spoke to him face to face. And God, God gave him a charge and a mission. <clears throat> I hope we, we can avoid um, being belligerent with God. But sometimes we just probably better get that out of our system. Maybe apologize up front and just say, Lord, this is how I'm feeling. And and tell him all about it. Because he does care and he wants to hear that. But what he really wants us to learn is, it's not about us, it's about him. These lessons aren't supposed to be easy. They're supposed to be hard. They're supposed to be the kinds of things that you have to chew on for a while and figure out, am I really right? Is that true? Things that you meditate on. David talks about in the Psalms about meditating on your word and your laws and the the watches of the night. 
things that keep you up. Maybe God's saying, you need to think about me some more. You need to focus on what I'm trying to get you to learn instead of the things that are bothering you and hurting you. So I would like to leave you with a couple that I picked out of here. Um, God will meet you where you are, just like he did Elijah. He wants to hear all your thoughts and fears, and he's big enough to allow you to do that. You can even be angry with him, but he still loves you and wants to listen to you. God will provide for you just as he did for Elijah. It may not seem like much in the eyes of the world, but it's what you need for your journey. What more could you really want? That's incredible. God will show you his power. If you can get out of that cave of your own fears and look, you will see his hand of providence at work in your life. And the more that you note that and give him credit for it, I know a lot of people don't like to say, well, God provided, because we don't know. But honestly, who else is going to take credit? <laughs> and would it be wrong if you wrongly gave God credit for something that he was in charge of? No. So stop feeling like you can't give God credit for the things that are going on. And God will speak to us with that still, small voice of mercy you may not want to hear it. You may question it, much like Elijah did. But if you can be still and know that he is God and trust that the Spirit will guide you, it's going to work out all right. Remember, this is not about you. It's not about me. It's about him. He's still on the throne. His purposes will be done. And guess what, church? You're not alone. Not only do we have a faithful church family here, we're in the midst of things changing. This family is going to grow in one way or another. It's God's will and God's purpose. And I would, I would challenge you to remember that Jesus said it is my job to grow the church and that the Holy Spirit is here to lead, guide, comfort, and all that. We need to let him. Sometimes we need to get out of God's way. We need to do what he's called us to do. So let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this time that we could come together to read your word and study. Thank you for the lessons we can learn. Some of them are hard. Um, some of them we're going to have to think about and work on. Pray that uh, you would be faithful and that your spirit would comfort and guide and lead. Too often, Lord, I think we kind of forget and marginalize his role in our life. And I just ask that um, you would connect us. That he would prod us to remember these lessons, to keep them in our minds. Lord, I ask that you would you would help us all to get on board and remember you have a plan and we have work to do. Help us to discern your will and your way. And we ask that you would bless our church family here, especially our leaders with wisdom as they seek your will 
and would lead us in your way. I ask, Lord, that you would uh, bless each of us as we go out this week. Lord, we thank you for keeping us safe, bringing us together today. and We ask that you would continue to do so. But also we thank you that in this time of uncertainty that you have given us opportunities to serve and pray that each would serve and show your love willingly. We thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.